Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Today, I'm speaking with Abigail Segui, professor of sociology and gender studies at UCLA, who's written a fascinating new book, Come Out, Come Out, Whoever You Are. In the book, Sagi and her collaborators explore the evolution and history of how and why LGBTQ people come out. While people used to conceal the fact that they were gay or lesbian to protect themselves from stigma and discrimination, today it's common for folks to come out. Sagi's new book offers background and details from the earliest of gay movements and notates how we got from there to here. Over time, though, Other marginalized groups have adopted a similar dynamic of coming out in their efforts to resist stigma and bring about social change. Through scores of interviews with LGBTQ people, undocumented immigrant youth, fat acceptance activists, and Me Too movement leaders, Come Out, Come Out, Whoever You Are explains why so many marginalized groups are drawn to the term and power of coming out. Focusing on the personal and political resonance of coming out, The new book provides a deep dive into understanding how identity politics work in America today. Let's chat with Professor Abigail Segui. Professor Segui, I hope you don't mind me calling you Professor Segui. I like titles. I do too. (laughs) A professor at UCLA, I can imagine. I found your new book fascinating. The first thing I want to ask is how did you become interested in this process of coming out? Yeah, so actually, I became first interested in this when I was doing interviews. This was a long time ago. I was doing interviews in the year 2000, if you can believe that, at uh, an organization called NAFAR, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. And this is, a fat ex- uh, this is about resisting bigotry that is so strong in this nation against people, people of size, people who identify, who reclaim the term fat, who identify as fat, people who are very heavy. And I was just asking people, so how did you get involved in this movement? And people spontaneously said to me, let me tell you when I came out as fat. I was a closeted fat person for many years, but I finally came out at this time and in this way. And it came up again and again. And I thought, wow, that is so interesting. Why are they using this particular term? How, what is this doing? What does it mean to come out as fat as opposed to coming out as gay? And um, I put the project a little bit to the side for a while. I published a, a different uh, a book that was somewhat, it was related to, to debates over body size. It's called What's Wrong with Fat? But then this issue of coming out just continued to nag at me. And so I returned to it with a graduate student, and we we published a paper on coming out as fat together. Over time, as I was talking to students and to others, they said, yeah, you know, there's this other group that also talks about coming out, and this is how they do it, and this is what it means in in this context. And so then I began with with several graduate students, co-authors, working on and exploring these different contexts. So we look at coming out as fat, coming out as undocumented, coming out as polygamous. Ultimately, actually, after I submitted my book proposal and the sample chapter, one of the reviewers for the book said, well, what about the Me Too movement? Isn't that a kind mm-hmm. of coming out? I think it, it is and, and is a continuation of other movements and the Clothesline Project that is very much about 
coming out and also more recently about outing. And so talking about the politics of outing and how those began in the gay rights movement and the conflicts over that within the gay rights movement and how it's been more recently playing out in the Me Too movement. In the beginning of the book, you do set up the the premise or the action of the history of coming out, how it was used by the LGBTQ community. One thing I did not know, and I found this fascinating, because we think it was always terrible up until now, and we've just yeah. constantly been trying to make progress forever. Early on in the book, you mention that in the 1930s, gays would come out by making their bow in homosexual society at pansy balls, which I'd never heard. Yeah. And so yes. actually there was room of acceptance uh, to a degree before, for instance, the 1940s and the 1950s. But this is – it was a thing. It was almost like uh, a social coming out. And I think that's fabulous that that actually existed. But the 1940s and 50s, because there started to be these pressures and alongside the idea of the, the communist red hunts where people were looking for communists, uh, homosexuals were kind of lumped into that. And oh, absolutely. Very much targeted. And so coming out in the 50s, let's say, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to speak broadly here because you're so specific in your book, which I love. But for instance, coming out in the 50s, people were coming out, but it was really about coming out for themselves or to other gay people. And that it was often understood that that information was, you know, we think of coming out now as come out, come out wherever you are. But in the 50s, coming out was a personal thing and it was to close confidants. And it was understood that that would be kept secret. Yes, absolutely. So, right, as I tell in the book, and here I'm drawing on other people's work, like George Chauncey's groundbreaking Gay New York, where he talks about these pansy balls where gay men came out into homosexual society or the gay world, which was not especially small or isolated or as hidden as a closet would, you know, imply. And they really were being inspired by elite debutante society, you know, high status, you know, women kind of culture. So this coming out into society is the beginning, and it means this before it then takes on the closet. And the you know that is is a later movement, a later feeling when that really has a lot to do with the backlash that begins in the 30s and, and is really very strong in in the 50s, as, as you mentioned, with the you know the whole uh, Red Scare. And so yeah, so and, and these times there is an, an, a movement that's referred to as the homophile movement, a kind of precursor to the gay rights movement, which is not as radical. And and in, at this time in the 50s, you would, you know, use kind of code language to, you know, to other people who are in the know that you were part of the club. So you might say that you were family or a club member or a friend of Dorothy's or a friend of King's or Gay. So, you know, we, we forget that at that time, gay was also one of these code words. And interestingly enough, again, it was derived from women's culture. But in this um, in this case, it was actually derived from the slang of female prostitutes. I found that fascinating. I can't wait to tell so a lot of people about that. being gay. Yeah. So and and so, yeah, it did at this time, really up until 
1969, the 70s, and which and that shift was really inspired by uh, the civil rights movement and and black power. Well, as you you allude in the book that in in the similar vein that the black community took back the word black and began using it in, mm-hmm. in a positive way. The LGBTQ community began using the word gay and also the word queer, taking back that power of those words and using them for ourselves to kind of take away some of the negative connotation. Yeah, it's a very powerful thing. You know, if someone is using a term to shame you, to silence you, and we see this with so many forms of stigma and and, and oppression, right? And if you can take that term and reclaim it and make it yours, suddenly it doesn't have that same power anymore. And this is something that the Black is Beautiful campaign, the whole U.S. society has is, has learned so much and, you know, from African-Americans in this country have really have been leaders in terms of freedom and democracy and social movements. And so they, again, teach us that through Black Power and Black is Beautiful and then the gay rights movement with gay is good, you know, latches onto that. And then as they show in the rest of the book, others as well. So the fat acceptance movement, um, reclaiming the term fat, which again has been used to silence and oppress. Right, shame people. um, Shame people that, oh my God, someone's going to say that I'm fat. And so, you know, I'm not going to say anything if they cut in front of me or they they treat me badly. I'm just going to try to shrink away and maybe they won't notice me or they won't, you know, they won't bully me because that's what all of this is, is the kind of, you know, is a f- different forms of bullying. And so reclaiming these terms is a really powerful way of of fighting back and mm-hmm. refusing to be bullied and silenced and, and pushed aside. Another thing that you bring up that I think is very important that we usually think of coming out as kind of an act of individual consequence. It's about us. It's about us. It's about me. It's about me and me coming out and protecting myself. But it's also about providing role models. And I think that's a very important right. point. Oh, absolutely. It's about providing role models and so that others have hope and can see a way forward, but it's also very much a political strategy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you come out, you know, when people come out and say, this is who I am, then it becomes, and people realize that they have friends and neighbors that they love like that you know who they liked before and now they know that they are gay or they have some other stigmatized characteristic they're less likely to feel like it's okay to to discriminate you know you mentioned the fat shaming that can go on and people coming out as 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 fat or overweight it's funny even as i say coming out as fat i almost feel like i'm being ugly saying that but uh, i understand the phrase completely one thing you you also talk about though and i think this is great is that with the advent of the DREAMers and the DACA program that never passed in the federal government, you talk about how undocumented immigrants like the DREAMers encouraged other undocumented youth to come out as undocumented and unafraid because overcoming their fear yeah. helped them come out of shadows. And that's, that's a different yeah. form of coming out. But like you said, it's also a political action on the road to visibility and recognition. Yes, absolutely. So it was in 1978 that um, Harvey Milk coined this phrase, come out, come out. You know, well, he, he used it to say, come out, come out, whoever you are. And it was in response to this Proposition 6 or the Briggs Initiative, which would have banned gay teachers from working in public schools in California. So the idea was come out. And if you 
do this, come out to your fellow workers and the people who, who work where you eat and shop, to those who know you, um, et cetera, with the goals of breaking down the myths and destroying the lies and the distortions. So again, it's this, it's a, there's a real power in this. When you come out and you show other people that I am a part of this group that they're trying to oppress, your friend, someone who you know, it really is very powerful. And the undocumented youth, immigrant youth movement has also capitalized on that. But again, as with the as with the gay rights movement, there's a you know there's a real risk of coming out when you might lose right. There's a risk when you might be deported or your fa- your parents might be deported or, or others. And so, giving using the, the the immigrant undocumented immigrant youth movement has really also used this narrative of coming out as a way of encouraging and giving undocumented immigrant youth a, a way to to disclose this and right. to come forward, which is necessary. It's necessary to mobilize a group. You can't mobilize an organization if people won't admit that they're a member of that group, right? You can't mobilize an organization if people won't leave, you know, won't come out in public and talk about the issues. So it has been really important in that context as well. What it makes me think about is, especially in, in terms of the Dreamers and, and the DACA program and everything, is if people did not come out, as undocumented, there would be no visibility, so no one would be raising their voices. And one of the great stories or, or causes related to the Dreamers is that a lot of Americans, and I don't mean to get off on a side note, but talking about the idea of coming out and the power that it brings is a lot of Americans didn't understand, well, if they're here illegally, then they should go away and blah, blah, blah. But what if you came here as a 10-month-old baby, and this is the only thing you know, and you're 17 years old, and it's not your fault, and you're here and you have been a productive member of society and blah, 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 and all the things that we've learned about dreamers, if they didn't come out of the shadows, come out, then we would never hear those facts because a lot of people just wouldn't bring up those very, very human details about this experience, this dynamic. So that's where coming out as a political movement, it gives voice and it gives visibility, but it also gives depth of reason to why this situation even occurs. So I think that that's very important. I also want to touch on briefly. You mentioned the Me Too movement, and well, I, I just want to—I just yeah, want to add one thing to what to what you said is that I also think it provides a, a route, route to empathy. Yes, right. It's very easy you said to it demonize. <laughs> yes. It's very easy to demonize people who you don't know. You know, if it's just some nameless, faceless person who you've you've never met anyone from the category, it's easy to believe propaganda that these people being subhuman, right? Absolutely. But when you when you know someone or you hear their story, then, you know, narrative is very powerful. You hear someone's story, you, you, you can empathize, you can put yourself in their shoes. And then all of a sudden, it's not so easy to treat people as less than human or to, to oppress them. Right. So it's very powerful. Part of the coming out process, you do touch on the, the five steps of the, the peep flag approach of, of self-recognition as gay, disclosure to others, socialization with other gay people, positive self-identification, and then integration and acceptance. I think of that because as you talk about that and how we educate people and we get empathy, uh, personally, I was impacted in a similar way about that because some of my li- listeners know that I did not meet my father-in-law. I've been with my husband for 25 years. I did not meet my father-in-law for 17 years. 
Wow. He did not show an interest in meeting me. And I don't mean to demonize, demonize him, but his background, his upbringing, gay was not a good thing. And mm-hmm. he learned to, for 17 years, it kind of went on that my husband would go home to New Jersey and he would see his family and they would just kind of not talk about this thing. And I would, I would stay mm-hmm. back here in Nevada. But the interesting thing is, and how you were talking about the visibility and how we develop empathy, there was an incident that I won't go into, but it's kind of, it's a funny story. But at 17 years, an event happened where I had to attend and my husband's parents wanted to attend. And my husband said, well, Randy's going to be there. And they're, oh, well, that's okay. And initially the idea is, well, well, we'll see him at the concert and we'll say hello. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't wait. This is the one time I'm putting down my foot. I didn't wait 17 years so we could say hello as the lights go down. We're going to have mm-hmm. dinner like, like grown people. And you're going mm-hmm. to get to know me because I'm married mm-hmm. to your husband. Right. Uh, to, your your, son. to your son. And, uh, <laughs> of course, the minute they met me, it all fell away. And it was perfectly fine. But it was right. by having that visibility and being face-to-face and putting a face to it and having a relationship to it that it developed that empathy. And, and so I, I always think that that's interesting that when we are face-to-face, when we know someone along the same lines with the Me Too movement. I think a lot of people did not know how big an issue this kind of a thing was. And it, and it didn't affect only just women with men who had power over them in the workplace or, or in other situations, but uh, it, it also happened to gay men. I actually spoke to NBC News about it because they asked, are they, at the height of the Me Too movement about two years ago when it first broke open, they asked, are there any gay people who this happened to you in the workplace and it actually happened to me i there was Mm -hmm. there was i had a supervisor who um uh was attracted to me and when i rebuffed his uh approaches uh he took it out on me at work and my my standing at work suffered um and so i spoke up because again the visibility we have to let people know We can't fix a problem if we don't know it's there, and we don't know how serious it is unless we all come out and do this, whether it's about the Me Too movement or whether it's about DACA or whether it's about the LGBTQ community or about overweight people. You know, unless we address it, that's what I think is so interesting about the dynamic of coming out can be used by so many different groups to use it as a political action to make change. Yes, and it's also important to remember that there's often people often are members of more than one of these groups and that those people are often have been on the forefront of of spreading the concepts and the language. So I'm um, in the fat acceptance movement, lesbians and queer women have been at the forefront. They've been disproportionately represented within this movement, have some, you know, have really shaped this movement in important ways, including in using this language, you know, because they've experienced coming out as as gay or as lesbian or as queer. And to then say, you know, I'm this I'm experiencing something similar with my my body size and discussing and being open and challenging fat phobia. And so they were the first to make those to make those analogies. And likewise, within the undocumented immigrant youth movement, it's the it's undocumented immigrant youth uh, who were queer, sometimes co- referred to as undocu-queer, 
who have also had a disproportionate role in that movement and have also brought in the, the concepts of coming out and have seen them as very relevant in this case as well. So that's another thing that's important for us to remember. It really does occur on many levels. So a lot of these groups do experience it more than once. Sometimes it, it, it almost becomes a learned skill or dynamic for them. I just think the book is terrific, not only because I'm a student of history, and I like to understand things. I really do. I made a note that you are so specific in the book, and I love this. You mentioned that the first time the phrase in the closet was used in a speech was in 1966 by historian journalist uh, Jim Kepner. And the first time it was used in print was the next year in Homosexual Behavior Among Males by Wainwright Churchill. And I just think it's important to, if, if you want to know where you're going, you have to know where you've been. And you also have to understand the process of how you got here. And so that's why I think the book is just so fascinating. And I think it, certainly coming out is really one of the earliest in, in any of these groups that we're talking about. It's really one of the early steps to, if you're interested in bringing about destigmatization and social justice, mm -hmm. the beginning of that road comes with coming out and, and raising your voice. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, I appreciate those sentiments. Well, I really appreciate you having the time to talk about this. I, I think the book is terrific. You and your colleagues, I will mention that you have co-writers on the book, and I just think you guys are awfully smart, a lot smarter than me, and I found oh. it a fascinating read. I couldn't put it down. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I really enjoyed talking with you today. Well, thank you so much for having the time. I appreciate it. You have a great week. All right. You too. Take care. I want to remind listeners, Come Out, Come Out, Whoever You Are is available at most booksellers. I'll have a link to purchase the book online in the show notes. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. I like to think of The Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. I have a quick request for my regular listeners. Reach out to me through my website, therandyreport.com. There's a contact button there. And let me know what stories you find resonate the most with you. Would you like to hear more news about pop culture or entertainment or political news? Let me know at therandyreport.com. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. <laughs>